Hi, it's Phil here. Imagine a world where we prepare our children to exhibit social leadership responsibly and effectively throughout their lives. Imagine a program which asks them to proclaim who I am, to take part in a series of exercises that practically prepare them for the world of work called the 20s, that ask them to take action by backing somebody else's idea and then to make action in due course. This is the work that the Princess Trust in Australia is working towards. This is the third conversation I'm having with Dean Delia. We've been promising to get into that whole notion of being enterprising, of enterprise skills, of key competencies, capabilities, preparing kids for the world. Let's go. Dean, what does it mean to be enterprising? <laughs> what does it mean to be enterprising? It's interesting, you know, like I think, um, firstly, Phil, thank you for having me back. Um, it's, it's, all, it's always great to chat and to explore some of this stuff that even, even though I sit in it every day and think about it, it's really nice to be able to have a conversation <laughs> with someone about it who's also thinking about these things. Uh, what does it mean to be enterprising? I think every person on this planet in the last couple of months due to the global pandemic would have had some sort of experience on what it means to be enterprising, to be perfectly honest with you. And look, enterprising is just a, a word. I think one of the biggest barriers right now that I'm seeing in the education space is we don't have a universal language for when we're talking about the things and the skills that we'll need for the future of work. Some of us talk about it as enterprising. Some talk about it as future focused. We used to call them the soft skills. Some people call them 21st century skills, even though that's now a bit outdated. But really, it's the stuff that we need to know, the skills that we need to have to be able to adapt quickly. You know, and if I think about the, the lived experience that we've had as a global community and how quickly we've all had to adapt, particularly in the education space, um, what I think it means to be, to be enterprising is to be able to see it, live it, be able to innovate quite quickly, um, and to be able to move forward. The moving forward is an interesting one, isn't it? Because moving forward might actually be moving back into the sideways a bit and finding a different path around the back. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's that notion of almost fluidity around what it is that you do. One of the things that's, um, and, and look, a lot of our research is, has also been around this area, which is why I find a talking with you is fascinating because you're another expert in the area and I always love talking to experts because one day I might become one myself. I also enjoy the way in which you're taking it and putting it into practice in a really interesting program that's helping to promote youth voice agency and identity formation and, and that complex mixture of all of those sorts of things. You know, we, we, we would talk about graduate outcomes of good people and future builders and continuous learners and unlearners of solution architects, responsible citizens and team creators. That of itself, it's the same sort of thing flowing in and around all of this space. The question is, how do we make this endemic within everything that we do? And how do we make it the currency of education in a world that may well respect the disciplines that you and I might have grown up in, but increasingly requires people to display those enterprise skills you talk about. Why don't you quickly walk us through your enterprise skills, your framework that you're using, and then I want to dig into things like how we assess them and how we talk about them and 
how we know whether or not we're, we're exhibiting them or, or, or not? I think because we are right, actually, before I say anything, um, I'm very, very uh, uncomfortable with the term expert. <laughs> um, I feel really privileged to have had the opportunity to spend some time just, you know, um, distilling some of the key research that, that's out there and learning from some really smart people. Um, so I guess anything that I'm going to say here is what I've learned from smart people that are experts rather than myself being one. I think when it comes to enterprise skills as a, as a term um, and which enterprise skills we're talking about is something that it's easy to get sort of stuck into the debate on which ones that we, you know, we focus on and why we say one and not the other. At Prince Trust Australia, we, we look at 10 that are typically globally renowned as skills that will be needed for the future. So there will be some, and I'll mention them in a moment, but there'll be some that you might go, well, hang on, what about this one and what about that one? I guess I'm less interested in debating which are the right ones um, and more interested in focusing on the fact that there are transferable skills that young people will need to be able to transition well um, into whichever career path or paths that they, they choose. Um, so the ones that we focus on are problem solving, critical thinking, self-management, and self-management really is about everything from time management, but also management of your own emotions. I would put resilience potentially into self-management as well. Emotional judgment. So being able to judge both yourself, but also how other people's are, uh, reactions are in a particular moment. You know, is there a difference between what they're saying and how they're actually feeling and what's going on for them? Teamwork is another one that we focus on. Communication being another. Digital literacy, innovation, professional ethics, and global citizenship. So they're the 10 that we focus in on. And again, I know that there will be research out there that takes different approaches and, and focuses more on particular skills that might sit within one of those buckets but they're the ones that we focus on. Yeah, I don't think you need to apologise for your list. It's as good a list as any that's going on <laughs> out there. Let's go to assessment because you're an old chalky and I'm an even older chalky and, and we know that if it's not for assessment, it's not real. And that doesn't mean teaching to the test in that old sense, but if you've got authentic assessment going on, you've got someone genuinely who can understand where they're up to on their pathway to excellence, the milestones that they've reached, the progress that they have made along the way, informing the character and competent wellness they need to thrive in their world. So what have you guys learned about assessment? What have you learned about how to gather the evidence to start? I mean, we've talked a little bit about that in previous conversations, but the, the gathering of the evidence and the making of the judgment, because the thing that we find teachers, you know, when, when we did our, our research in this area, we found that teachers... I think 73% of teachers around the world said that they really wanted to measure this stuff, but they didn't have the confidence to do it. They didn't know how to form a judgment. And typically they will tell us they are worried that if they form a judgment about something like ethical decision-making or problem-solving, that if, they, if their judgment is not immaculate, then they're going to get in trouble, particularly from parents who are going to get offended because their kid is being labelled in a particular way. So there's a few parts to, to unpacking that, that question I think is a, a really great one. The, the first is that we talk about Achieve as a framework rather than a program. And the part of the reason why we do that, as I, as I sort of mentioned um, in a previous conversation, is that we recognise that it needs to be adaptive to any school environment and work within existing uh, education frameworks. Um, we have done some mapping against our enterprise skills, the ACHIEVE framework and the general capabilities. Um, we started to look at mapping things against VCAL and, and, and other uh, sort of frameworks and, and curriculum. And then we sort of take, took a moment to stop. 
and recognised that educators will will take different approaches. Every school has a different sort of approach and assessment needs. And rather than us trying to say, this is the way to do it, we flipped it and started actually talking to schools, talking to teachers, talking to young people and helping educators to think about what's going to make the most sense in their particular environment. So you're contextualising the assessment rather than coming up with some absolute way of doing it, one size fits all way of well, doing it. Well, if, if the framework itself, if the Achieve framework itself is an individualised, personalised learning journey, then surely assessment, um, you know, uh, there, there is an opportunity for us to think about assessment in the same way. I'll give you a really practical example, uh, Phil. I mentioned uh, in a previous chat that part of the Achieve framework is for the, uh, the student, the young person, to do a self-assessment against the 10 enterprise skills. So they will do that online, takes about 10 minutes or so, and at the end they get a readout. So if against each one of those skills, they'll get a score out of 10. So that's one point of assessment. What can equally be done there as an extension, and we've certainly seen some, some schools uh, do this, is there's an opportunity there for peer-to-peer learning. So uh, an individual could take that score, those scores, and then go to someone in their class and say, hey, what do you rank me? Based on what you know about, about my, you know, myself and my skills. So there could be a second point there. Then you could also get the teacher to look at those scores and give a, give a ranking. And then the aggregated score could become the, the base for that individualized learning journey. So there are opportunities for that sort of 360 degree assessment of an individual's starting point. Are you, are you telling me, Dean, that you'd actually put this stuff in the hands of the students and trust them to make good decisions <laughs> about their lives? Well, I mean, it, I, I think if you're, mapping, if, you're, if you're mapping that journey along a framework which, which empowers them to actually see the development, then absolutely. And that's certainly what we've done with, with Achieve. But I mean, it's, it's not rocket science. What we're saying here is let's find what the start point, starting point is. Let's give young people a chance to develop throughout that experience and give them a chance to self-assess. And I think the real key that we've learned through the Achieve Framework, Phil, is that it's constant self-assessment. You do something, you talk about the thing, you bring it back to the skills that you've developed, and then you go on to the next thing. So it's, it's empowering young people to talk not just about that they have skills, but to be able to show how, and demonstrate how they've developed those skills. So it's personalised to the student. It's aligned to not only your framework, but the context of the school. And it's integrated within their learning journey. And you're actually starting with the basis of everything that we do in education, which, as we said earlier, was belonging. And that's trust. Mm -hmm. So we're trusting students to be the architects of their own journey rather than just telling them what to do. Absolutely. And I think what's tricky within that is that often when we self-assess and then go through a learning journey, where we thought our starting point was may actually change. So what we have found, not just in our work with uh, young people, but also work with um, defence members and their families, is that they'll often rank themselves. I'll use communication as one of our skills as the example. What we find is people will often rank themselves quite highly in, ed- in communication. And then as they go through a learning journey and realise there's so many different paths to communication that their original assessment was sometimes maybe a little bit too high. And then what, by the time they go through a learning journey, they might really rank themselves low at the midpoint and then come to some sort of middle ground at the end. And on paper, that looks like they've taken a step back. 
But when you actually take the time to interrogate it and have those conversations, what you've actually found is that someone has uh, absolutely developed that skill set and that capability, um, but they've done it in a, with a much deeper understanding and knowing of what it means. And as a former defence member myself, that you're just using a technique that we in the artillery would have called bracketing anyway. Start low, <laughs> go high, end up in the middle where you need to get to. I mean, well, there just, you go. <laughs> you know, but, but, but what that requires us as educators is to note that the purpose of assessment is to help somebody grow and to give them the opportunity to show what they know, what they can do, who they're becoming and how they're learning. And that's all aspects of the competency that they're trying to show as opposed to trying to jump through some sort of inane, you know, hoop jumping contest, uh, which sorts out which kids are going to get privileged by going to which pathways and which kids aren't. And, that's yeah, sort of, and I guess surely that's, surely that's I mean, you know, we, we, we were talking about the purpose of education. I, I, I get really rolled up about this sort of <laughs> stuff these days because it's, we, we just end up trying to pursue a whole superstructure of education that is just no longer relevant. Hmm. I, again, I, I always hesitate here because I recognise, I can hear my teacher brain going, yeah, this is all good and well, but I still, you know, I'm working within a system. I need to, to be able to produce a report. And, and I recognise that there is complexity um, for the person that is on the ground trying to, trying to, to work through this. So um, I, I'm in no way sort of belittling that experience. And also I think about the, you know, the human example or the human um experience of us all going for a job interview at some time in our lives. We're asked to demonstrate a skill that we have through an experience. So if we know that that's the way that job interviews are set up and how we actually move into the, the future of work, then why wouldn't we train young people in being able to talk about experiences they've had and how they've been able to develop mindset skills and capabilities through those? Yeah, look, I think you're very wise to be um, somewhat more circumspect than perhaps I've been hitherto in this conversation, but then, you know, that's, that's part of your wisdom. And that's, that's part of my frustration, I guess, about these sorts of things. There is a reality that's shifting mindsets about what assessment of skills looks like and their role and what numbers are and what the, what the value of numbers are. That, that's a long piece of work that needs to be done. You know, the, the parents who are the sponsors of their children's education have a memory of what numbers and grades and, and, and the, the, you know, exams and tests and all of those sorts of things are about. And if we want to move on there, we, we have to be respectful at the same time. We have to be respectful of teachers and systems and so on. I don't think that there's no place for summative assessment because at some point you have to know how good you are. And you have to know what you need to do your work at. And so there's got to be some objective way of gathering data around these sorts of things. But increasingly, what we're finding when we're going to schools and educational institutions like your own all around the world, that people are shifting towards this practice of, uh, again, what my, my, my colleague Brad Adams would call the warranting of practice. And that's a term that at a school for tomorrow, we've borrowed from the English mathematics uh, academic Kenneth Ruthman and he talks about the notion of instead of assessment as being something that he's done to you it is something that you do and you bear witness to your little community around you about what it is you've done where you're going to and what it looks like which is exactly what you've got to do when you go to get a job and when you live in the world of work isn't it you know it's it's so it's it's getting an assessment system that is more humane and replicates the lived experience more as opposed to some abstract system that doesn't quite work the way. And, and what, we, what we also find, uh, and we certainly hear from, from young people, is that 
they sometimes struggle to link the experiences that they have had in their limited experience world, being young people, to skills, to skills that are going to help them in the future. So what we've intentionally done through the Achieve Framework is be able to give them bite-sized examples to say, hey, this is a thing that I did. I did it in 20 minutes. I reflected on it and it helped me to develop this skill. And that skill is transferable and will help me in the next thing that I do. I do think that, you know, if we're, if we're serious about lifelong learning um, and that there is learning in everything that we do, I think part of that is also being able to tease out the skills that we're developing through every experience, whether it be a part-time job, whether it be, you know, some sort of formalized study, whether it be a, a tough conversation that we've had with a, with a mate that's helped us to develop skills or planning a party. Uh, I like both of those last two examples. They're both very real and both very relevant. Uh, Dean, what we're talking about here is work up to your neck in the hard end of change in education as we try to shift from one paradigm to the next one, as we try and shift from fixed learning to continuous learning, as we try and move forward from the notion of content to the notion of competencies or, or enterprise skills. How are you finding schools and other organisations that you're working with are responding to this need for change? And how are you able to help them? There, I would like to answer that in two parts. The first part is that it's tricky. And then the second part is that we've seen how quickly we can really shift, I guess, the paradigm through. And we've learned that, I think, through the COVID pandemic. If I think to the world pre-COVID, I think that there... Well, our, certainly our approach at Prince's Trust was a lot more working on the ground um, and sort of working from, from the ground up, working with schools, helping to train teachers um, through these, these frameworks, really learning uh, alongside uh, teachers, but really going into, I guess, new regions and cultivating relationships um, in, in, that, in that way and really working with schools to work out, to work out what they're specific needs are and help them to to use the hopefully the framework to to meet those needs then we had covid hit and everything got thrown out the window for all of us you know i'm, I'm sure that <laughs> listeners have um heard buzzwords like you know unprecedented and you know digital pivots and, and all of the all of the rest of the buzzwords that people throw around but actually what we saw is a lot of myths get debunked as well so I was one of the people that said you could never do online facilitation and online delivery of programs that was going to, that, that could be as impactful as um, face-to-face learning. And I've absolutely had that challenged and, and, and I no longer sit in that camp after seeing some incredible um, examples of online learning that can happen. If you, you know, if you, if you asked me, you know, six months ago, how long it was going to take or whether it was even possible to move more into an online education environment um, and for that to be really engaging and what that could look like. I mean, without the catalyst, like we've just seen through this global pandemic, I think it could have taken a lot longer. But we have now seen that the future of work is no longer the future of work. It's the now of work. Um, and that educators were absolutely on the forefront in, you know, evolving and evolving really, really quickly. So I think that you can't deny that we are in the fourth industrial revolution, still working in a system that was designed for the first. Um, and rather than trying to throw out or you know, throw out the, the, the system that we do have and create a new one, I, I think it's about accepting that there is a system in place and that we can continue to, um, I guess, disrupt and evolve within that. But also that this is a place of abundance and that we've now shown that we can 
adapt quite quickly and there are opportunities for the education sector to try out new things, new platforms, new frameworks, um, and potentially new institutions as well to sit alongside what we already have. I think one of the things that we're learning at the moment is that so many of our colleagues are actually not learning a whole bunch of new things, even though it feels like it. What they're doing is they're adapting. Yeah. What they've already got in place and finding yeah. new applications for it. Now, the new application is, of course, itself tiring because you've got to do a whole bunch of extra work to get in there and do it. But we're also finding that the teachers everywhere are reporting to us that they're finding their work even more engaging, even more rewarding and even more purposeful under mm. those circumstances. And uh, I, mean, I think we have to be careful around these sorts of things. But I think what it goes to show is that if you can connect with purpose and you can connect with a strong sense of autonomy and under these circumstances, you just have to trust teachers. You can't micromanage them. That's silly. Yeah. And, 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 and if you allow them to adapt their existing mastery to the next mastery, they, they, they can do terrific work. Yeah, 100%. And we, so to give you an, a practical example at, at Prince's Trust, so we took our Achieve framework uh, that we had been rolling out nationally um, bef- and, and had a plan to roll out nationally just before COVID hit. Um, and we flipped that pretty quickly uh, and repackaged it through a three-day online immersion called the Chief Fest. So we opened this online immersion up nationally. We enabled young people, educators and parents to all log in. It was absolutely free. It ran uh, for three hours a day over three days. And it allowed us, Princess Trust, to effectively showcase the Achieve framework, but also how it could be adaptive into multiple settings. And what we found is that educators continued to evolve and adapt. When we designed Achieve Fest, we thought like it was it was during um, national lockdowns, and we thought that all young people would be signing in from from home. Some did, but by the time we actually delivered Achieve Fest, a lot of schools, in fact, most schools were were back in the classroom. And because the walls had been broken down, some schools actually completely changed what the way the school day looked. One school in particular um, completely changed the design of the days for those three days so that every year seven, eight and nine student was involved in Achieve Fest. They were logging into the from their classroom, but were also engaging with young people um, and, and speakers from all across the world, from all across Australia and engaging in it um, in a way that was both asynchronous and synchronous. So I think if there is a silver lining in this global pandemic that we're all now still living through, it's that the old mindsets of what education can be and how education can look have been completely debunked and, and we can play in a different way. Yeah, I, and, you know, I think we've got a few more years of this ahead of us. Um, I think I think it, every, everybody gets very excited about the prospect of it ending, but I think we're going to have to dig in for a bit longer and I think it's going to require us to do all sorts of innovative thinking around it. It's wonderful that there are programs out there and, fr- and frameworks like the Achieve framework that schools can tap into. And it's great to see you role modelling the sort of change process that's helpful and that's actually achievable along the way. What have you learned about your own leadership over the last few months? <laughs> oh, what have I learned? I think the, th- the first thing that stands out Phil, is um, that sometimes the best thing, the best way to lead is to 
um, just shut up and listen. <laughs> I remember when COVID first became a, you know, well, when we saw lockdown and restrictions start to come in and, you know, schools were being um, put on hold and the whole, our whole world had just been flipped on its head. And there was a real push, particularly for service providers like Princess Trust and for, for others that are working within the education sector to do stuff. Like we had to go out and we had to do stuff. We had to produce stuff for teachers. We had to go out and like, and, and, I remember just having this this moment where thinking, well, well, you know what? Actually, what's needed right now is is just to is just to stop and listen. Everyone's, you know, trying to figure this thing out. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of you know. There's a lot of noise. And what what I remember being a very big part of our conversation at Princess Trust was that we are actually here to serve community. And sometimes it it, it might mean just taking a moment to think about, to listen to community and think about what they might need. And it might not be to just be the first people to jump in. And I think um, us taking the time to just sit and breathe and listen and go back to our principles of co-design, redesign, certainly helped us to not just be another voice uh, and not just be part of the noise, but to actually think about how we can be of service. Dean, if I can, can I just take you in a slightly different direction? And, and that is a concern that I have about the way in which the weight of the world seems to be on the shoulders of students in a way that is heavier than it ever has been before. Now, whether that's because anxiety and depression rates are up or just that we're noticing them for the first time and perhaps they were always there but buried deep but beneath the, the sort of social constructs of our world whether it's because there's some really grim stuff happening in the world whether it's because we're seeing a collapse of conventional media and as a result we're just reporting bad stuff our, our kids seem to be weighed down by a whole bunch of serious serious stuff what can we be doing to help them lift that weight from their shoulders at the moment? So, yeah, that's, that's the key question. <laughs> I mean, I, and I wish I had a really concise, articulate answer for you, Phil. Um, it is something that I think a lot about. And I think part of the answer is having the conversation about it, you know, is recognising that young people are feeling these things um, and that they are moving into a world that is unlike anything that you and I have ever seen before. You know, they live in a world that isn't online and offline. It's all the same thing. They live in a world where they are bombarded by, you know, constantly by, by information and are connected to what's happening on the other side of the globe. And I think that actually draws us to back to this sort of theme that we've been unpacking, which is, well, if education is about preparing young people for this world they're about to step into, then surely our role as educators is to not just focus on subjects, but also to be focusing on mindset, skills and capabilities that are going to enable young people to, to transition, but also to, to be the, the next generation of leaders. I think a lot of it is us just getting out of the way <laughs> and looking at the fact that there is some really, really good organisations that are, that are um, experts and leading this, this forward and, and us as educators being conduits between getting good information and good experiences to young people so that they can continue to thrive or at least develop the, the, the skills and experiences that they'll need to be those you know, impactful future leaders and custodians. Yeah, I think that that, that point about getting out, out of the way is one that I've, I've certainly been learning this year. I think getting out of the way, but I think you have to define 
you have to define the lanes that they're running in, you know, mm. otherwise it, you can get all the energy going everywhere. You just sort of sit down and go, these are our parameters and you can set yeah. quite high parameters now go, 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 yeah. go. Tell me what you can do. Yeah. So, and, so, and permissioning people to do that. But of course I've, I've learned a whole bunch of this sort of stuff from working with Adriano because he's very, very hot on the idea of clarity is kindness. He's very, you know, of, of permissioning people of, of allowing them to move forward in the way that's integral to them. Um, he talks about, uh, you know, change in an organic way. I don't like the use of the term organic because it's a term I believe should be reserved for steak rather than <laughs> change. But I do like the idea of incremental experimental change. I think that's really, really important. And, and, and I think it's really, as you've already pointed out in this conversation, that you have to respect the context that people are operating in. Yeah, 100%. And look, I always go back to, if I think about where we started here, uh, my days as a, as a history teacher, you know, if I think about some of the trends that I'm seeing globally at the moment um, and this sort of unfortunate increase in propaganda that, that we tend to be seeing. Propaganda is something that we do, we know is in, in the Australian um, curriculum frameworks. It's something that's, that's taught as part of World War II. But that's just one particular moment that is in the curriculum that could be taught or might not be taught. And then how, how else do we find opportunities to unpack that and help young people to see it, to be able to call it out um, and there are some greater organizations that are focusing on things like divisive messaging and collective identity uh, organizations like high resolves that are doing some brilliant work around global citizenship and, and civics um, education. Um, so I think part of it is seeing the great things that are part of this education system that we are currently working within and also backing great organizations that have expertise in things like global citizenship and, and civics. I really like the way in which you, you, you're modelling that, that competency of collaboration. I think it's really, really important. Um, I think I'm, I'm as competitive as the next person and, and, I, and I do like to win. I really like to win. But I can't see how in our game we do well without cooperating amongst each other and without trying to give everybody possible a leg up because at the end of the day, what we're genuinely interested in is the character and the competence and the well-being of our kids. And we want to know that they're going to thrive in their world. We know that the most important factor that we have any control of over whatsoever are our teachers. And we know that their wellness needs to come first because if they're well, they're going to teach well. If they're yep. stressed and anxious, they're not going to teach as well. Yep. So we need to think about what we do and, and how we do it. We've got to be prepared to free ourselves up from pre-existing thoughts about how we put together time and space and how we can be more effective in, in, in delivering what it is that we need to do. I've really, really enjoyed the conversation with you, Dan. I'm really hoping we get a chance to stay in touch. I can't recommend more highly the work that the Prince's Trust and you and your team are doing, not just for those people who happen to be close in proximity to you physically, but for our listeners all over the world. Um, what's the... The, the, the website address, please, is www.achieveonline.com.au. We've set that up as a free uh, online resource hub. Um, so you can go there, you can create a, an account either as a parent or as an educator or as a young person, 
um, and go through that that achieve journey that we we spoke about, um, and you'll get access there to all of the resources that make up the the achieve framework. Fantastic! I might even sneak on there and do the test myself. <laughs> work, work out what goals I need to set for myself next. Thank you so much for the conversation. I really enjoyed getting to know you, and really enjoyed hearing about the work that you've been doing throughout your career and that you're now doing with the Princess Trust. It's such important and valuable work. Thank you for the work that you're doing. I don't know if anybody says thank you to you that often, but thank you for the work that you're doing and for the game-changing example that you're setting for other educators out there. We know through the work that we've been doing with Game Changers uh, since late March that there are tens of thousands of teachers out there and other educators out there who really want to make a difference, who are not content with the status quo, who keep, want to keep pushing forward one way or another. And without the example of people like yourself, it's, um, it's, it, it, it can be a bit lonely and dispiriting at times. So thank you. And oh, thanks so much. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Phil. And, and look, I, again, I, I feel like I, I'm, uh, I'm one of the luckiest people in the education sector that I get a chance to play with these ideas and sit within these, these concepts and try and create, you know, create in, in collaboration, you know, hopefully products that actually really help, help our teachers that are out there. And, and you know, for all of the, the educators that are, that are listening, you guys are the heroes, you know, you're sitting within these systems and disrupting from the inside and we're looking at really practical ways to, to you know, take these concepts that we get to play with um, and to make them real. So um, thank you um, for, for the opportunity to, to chat. Thank you to all the educators that are, that are out there in the trenches really doing the important work. Um, and uh, yeah, we'd love to stay in contact. And uh, for anyone that wants to know more about the stuff that we're doing at Princess Trust, do yell out. We'd love to be to hear from you. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Dean. Take care. Thanks so much, Bill. The Game Changers podcast is produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and supported by Circle, the Centre for Innovation, Research, Creativity and Leadership in Education. Go to www.circle.education. The podcast is hosted on SoundCloud. It's distributed through Spotify, Google Play and Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe and tell your friends you like what you're hearing.